plant-centric is not a 180 degree shift where only the client matters and you do everything the client wants. It's a balance. Uh, we were very much in a brand product-centric world in the luxury industry. And now there's a need to bring back some balance and to really put the plant at the heart. Hello and a very warm welcome to this, our second series of transformation stories from the award-winning Valtec Cafe. Last year, we spoke to more than 25 global brands and industry experts about their experiences of digital transformation. And this series is no different. From airlines to retailers, manufacturers to healthcare companies, this is a podcast series that strips away the digital buzzwords and challenges what we all thought we knew about our industry. Covering topics from the circular economy to customer experience, emerging tech to composable architectures, we're removing the filters and getting to the bottom of what's really going on in digital today. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. We often talk of the vital impact and importance of the customer experience within retail, but for luxury retail in particular, the customer experience is a little more complex. Steeped in heritage, it's an industry that has historically relied on one-on-one relationships, first-name terms, and in-store sales. How then does the industry keep pace with the digital age, one in which consumer demands are forever changed? How can the experience extend beyond the purchase? And what does the future really look like for those luxury brands seeking relevancy with their changing target audience? In this podcast, we'll have front row seats, no pun intended, to a conversation between two industry experts, Valtech's EVP for retail, JC Herman, whose career has included roles such as EVP for strategy and digital commerce at Tommy Hilfiger, and group digital and e-commerce director for European giant grocery retailer Carrefour. And Isabel Aguer, founder of Lux in Vivo, her consulting firm focused on client-centric digital and sustainability transformations in the luxury industry. That follows a corporate career, including roles as director of client strategy for Chanel, director of strategic marketing and e-commerce for Balenciaga, and US director of strategic planning and CRM for Cartier. So JC, Isabel, a very warm welcome to the podcast, and it's over to you. Hi, TZ. Hi, Isabel. Hi, everyone. Isabel, uh, after a Harvard MBA and an impressive luxury insider career at major brands that TZ just mentioned, Cartier, Balenciaga, and Chanel, four years ago, you founded Lux in Vivo Consulting Firm. And now, as an outsider transformation agent, you advise luxury brands on truly customer-centric strategies. Uh, why is that? Well, I guess I was lucky to not make any care planning and just end up having experiences very firsthand in terms of why the client matters so much. I really discovered through my experiences that beyond the brand equity itself, which is obviously very precious in the luxury environment, also the next key asset for the brands was the client. First, I started, as you mentioned, at Cartier. I started in retail, actually, really client-facing, selling in stores. And I really got to sell to clients, but also to observe a lot of the dynamics of the client relationships. Uh, So I learned so much. If I give you an example, very uh, obvious example, when I started at the Fifth Avenue store in the mansion of Cartier, it was quite striking to see 
all the salespersons at the time lining up next to each other against the back wall. And when a client entered and looked like uh, pretty much uh, she never set a foot into a, a luxury store with like uh, jeans and like probably like uh, uh, non-washed air. And she actually came to me because I was in the store helping out because I was the only person smiling. And I ended up making my first sale, which was a, a 60K, three tank watches to that person. Just there, it was uh, really interesting to see the dynamics with the client relationship, the human connection, the smile, the impact of uh, individual commissions uh, with the salespeople. So all this was first-hand experiences that really taught me a lot of what I've done later on in terms of uh, client strategies. And also, the other thing I was looking into the retail was to look beyond the sales numbers, to really dig into the data and to establish uh, more like client-related KPIs. And the other thing I discovered then was that uh, a dollar in sale is not the same dollar, uh, depending on which type of client it comes from. So a dollar spent by a local client that might become loyal and repeat purchases over time is not the same as a dollar spent potentially from a tourist that's only going to come and show up once in your in your boutique. So all those uh, retail experiences were uh, really fundamental for me to start thinking about the client first. And then beyond retail, I guess I had also uh, on the other side of the spectrum, on the more digital, uh, I was lucky to start my career actually uh, way before uh, luxury. Uh, when I first started in the 90s, I worked in consulting in the retail financial services. And there I was uh, at the time of the first internet bubble. And this was the time where we were trying to help the banks to integrate internet banking, to understand their clients and to build data modeling to be able to uh, optimize for both client preferences and their ROI in terms of channels. And that got me also later on when I was at Balenciaga, enough understanding to be able to lead, uh, build and then manage the e-commerce for Balenciaga. Uh, there we were early 2007, which was quite early on for the industry to uh, actually um, build e-commerce operations. And there I was able to really compare retail experiences versus digital experiences uh, in terms of building client relationships. And the last big experience I got in all that to build my conviction that it was really important to work on this client-centric transformation was actually going through the entire process of building a client ecosystem. When I worked at Chanel for seven years, I really built the client-centric transformation there. And uh, starting with two fundamentals that was bringing all those different experiences together, on one side was all the data and the systems underlying and the global KPIs that could really uh, dig into understanding clients from a quantitative perspective. And at the same time, I built another piece that's much more on the softer side, so the hard and soft, I guess, which was the client mindset, the client culture for the brand globally. So this is really how I would say I built this conviction that it was important for me to then help from the outside brands to build this client-centric mindset. And again, client-centric, maybe it's important to keep in mind, I mentioned brand equity at the beginning. Client-centric is not a one 80 degree shift where only the client matters and you do everything the client wants. It's a balance. Uh, we were very much in a brand product centric world in the luxury industry. And now there's a need to bring back some balance and to really put the client at the heart 
of the organization, but without losing your soul as a brand, because that's really what makes you uh, unique also. So this is a short or long answer to your why. Okay, well, thanks. I'm very impressed, uh, Isabel, by all this experience, but especially as a retailer, knowing that you have sold for 60K in a sales situation, an actual sales situation in front of a customer is probably the most impressive one for me. <laughs> <laughs> now, having said that, do you think today there is a risk for, let's say, established luxury brands in terms of uh, brand erosion or new competition or less customer spending? Because this industry has really surfed on success since the beginning, probably 25, 30 years ago. So do you think this industry is coming to, um, to a turn here? Well, I guess it's still surfing quite a lot if you look at the stock market for luxury groups. But there are definitely a lot of concerns, different types of risks that are out there that need doesn't mean it's going to prevent the, the industry to continue growing, but it definitely pushes the, the brands towards different forms of transformation. So the first one for me is definitely the dependence of many brands on their Chinese clientele that has become such a, a huge percent of the business. I mean, it's projected by some of the uh, firms out there, the research firms to become 50% of the business by 2025 or something like that. And together with this is, as we can tell now in terms of geopolitics, uh, what China is doing and decisions they're making, the one around prosperity, equal prosperity uh, type of uh, vision for the country. So that can have, we've seen a few years ago when they took some actions against the uh, gift to uh, public figures, how much that impacted the watch market very quickly. So this is definitely uh, a major risk for me, together with probably uh, still, uh, unfortunately, some distance with the Chinese world, some lack of uh, understanding, a deep understanding of the culture and how the country is functioning. I think that's altogether, it's a, it's a heavy risk. Then another one that's been coming for a while already, which we've seen through the uh, increase of the of the digital channels also, is the, the new generation, uh, which is an opportunity, obviously, as new potential clients, but also with a bit of a risk because there's clearly a question today on the level of loyalty of those new generations, which to me, and we can debate later, but which to me is partly connected to the digital channels also. Then another important one is, um, and we've heard so much about it now because it's become uh, at the center of everyone's concerns, is uh, sustainability, the uh, circular economy, uh, re-commerce, all this been uh, growing so much in the industry within a very short amount of time, if you look at the, at the big picture. And so there are elements around business potential cannibalization. There are elements around compliance also of the brands. Actually, in terms of compliance, you also have the topics around data privacy, even if brands want to know more. But data privacy management and GDPR regulations, and those are evolving all the time and more and with going towards more and more strict perspectives and requests. So all those are, are really key topics. And I was... Um, working quite uh, closely to that because in the, I didn't mention at the beginning, but I also spent a year and a half building a startup in uh, blockchain uh, for the luxury industry in 2019 and 20. 
And we were really looking how to uh, leverage the technology all along the value chain and uh, with an approach that was uh, clearly focused on sustainability from the traceability of, of the materials, but all the way into connecting potentially CRM into your second hand next generation of clients. So uh, these are really uh, topics that are going to require the brands to also evolve. So they were in the last few years in the same posture as they had at the beginning towards digital, uh, which was kind of, let's wait and see. And more and more, they realize they do need to embrace this trend as well. And, and there's a couple more of uh, risks, but they were already here, which is like shifting also from uh, product ownership towards more experiential luxury. So depends where you are in the luxury uh, space, uh, but that could be also a, a challenge or new competitions, whether it's like a sustainable based type of uh, products or, uh, or newness, which is definitely a uh, uh, something new generations are, are, are researching a lot. But at the same time, what we saw during the crisis on this point of competition is that people uh, shifted back a lot of their spending and luxury towards the, the really uh, powerful established uh, luxury brands, kind of a, a safer investment, I guess, in a, in a context of crisis. Isabel, when I see all the, all the risk and, and transformation topics for luxury brands, Obviously, it's very interesting to understand perhaps what was the major, first major challenge for luxury brands, which was to embrace digital. And the luxury industry has been fairly late compared to a lot of other industries, so maybe for good reasons. But why did it take such a long time for the luxury industry to embrace digital? And is it a critical part of the business and of the experience, in your view, to really achieve a luxury experience for, for the consumer? Yes, I think this is indeed that's been uh, that took a, a while because as I was mentioning, I started uh, in actually I started at Cartier in uh, early 2000 to explore e-commerce for luxury to try to to define what would be the blueprint, and then I, I did get to build it at Balenciaga, and I can tell you I could see uh, the resistance from uh, the inside. Uh, also, initially there was a, a lack of understanding a lack of also internal competencies uh, inside the IT teams. I mean, the very digital-oriented IT uh, talent was more going towards uh, Google than towards uh, any luxury brand. And it was really taken from a perspective of a digital as image only, rather than what it means in the back end, I guess. And if, if you think about it, at the same time, you could see if you're looking at what digital means and what luxury means, it was a bit of an uh, expected culture clash. Uh, if you look on one side, on digital, you have the data. On the luxury, it's more the dream, not exactly the same, uh, the same idea. It's the one click you like, you unlike, within one click, within one second. And on the other side, the luxury world is about having the time to really build desire and like also making sure you establish lifetime memories, uh, lifetime purchases uh, with your clients. Uh, you have the fans uh, on one side. You have very uh, deep, trusting uh, relationship on the other side. And I'm going to continue a few because then you have the, the World Wide Web and you have the one-to-one. -one. Those are really all important elements and codes that totally shape and explain why it was so hard for them to, uh, to embrace. So 
the brands really have a work to do and still it's still in progress, I think, which is to bring those two sets of values together. So I'm saying there's a clash and they're saying they're in different parts of the spectrum. I'm not saying it's they're necessarily uh, impossible to reconcile. I mean, we're all made of uh, paradoxes, so and we, we still live together with, with oneself. But you need to bring both. And maybe the vision is towards more of an experience that is uh, both connected and human, where you're able to bring some sort of a dream that you build in the virtual space, but still connecting with a, a reality uh, that touches the five senses of a person. And how do you do that? How do you make that happen? And if we're looking at now, so that's still one thing now that needs to be achieved uh, by most of the brands. And they definitely had to accelerate on that and make it a critical uh, priority for, for them. Obviously, there's been the, the context with the power of the GAFAs and everything that's tech-related, but also the new generation's expectations, very much driven by, uh, by China, where everything is uh, ahead of the, of the rest of the world. And, uh, and COVID didn't leave a choice because suddenly you're retail, store, physical environment is gone. So uh, you, you definitely have to make it happen and make it happen fast. And the other thing, which is actually uh, probably something I could have added in the, in the risks before, is that the digital growth has been also pushing forward some new intermediaries. So a lot of the most powerful brands, they've historically been in uh, directly owned distribution. And, you know, really going into wholesale when necessary. But suddenly, with a shift in digital and the presence of some major intermediaries, like a Farfetch or even an Alibaba uh, in the Chinese market, suddenly there's a risk of having those intermediaries take so much power that now you're dependent on them. So that really makes the whole shift uh, very critical and having uh, some direct-to-consumer digital approach needs to be at the heart of your of your thinking as a brand. Yeah, that's very clear. And, and thanks for enlightening our understanding here. The uh, luxury brands have embraced digital, perhaps in some cases, very fast. But as you say, luxury brand goodwill and assets is, is a very long-term asset. May, may I add something on this? Sure. Maybe there was also, I mean, there are definitely not all brands were in the same place around that. And one thing that's really uh, clear is that some understood that much earlier on, like a Burberry, and they understood that also from the back-end needs, which was to scratch their entire system to build an enterprise-wide system that could allow actually uh, what's required for digital is that everything works together, everything's connected, so you can actually deliver at the end of the spectrum your experience uh, to, the, to the client. And others got on board a little faster than others. So it's not just become critical for all now. Uh, I just want to mention that somewhere a bit earlier in the game. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So now that they have embraced digital, you know, um, of course, brand experience in store and customer service is, is, is still absolutely essential to, to deliver a luxury experience. But where do you see the value of digital channels to, to deliver the luxury experience? Because as you rightly said, you know, uh, digital was first for, uh, for mass market and 
you don't have that much of five cents together on digital, actually, as you rightly said. So what's the added value of digital channels for luxury experience today? As you said, you know, the store remains uh, very important. And actually, you see a lot of the digital native brands ended up opening some stores, the successful one at least, so they would have the, uh, the, the ability to invest. But the, the store is a key asset because it's really a space that is a space to differentiate and to build the loyalty with your client, especially when you have in front of you competition like uh, GAFA. Because Amazon is still planning to try to get there, get their their hands around the luxury and fashion, and uh, Farfetch, I just mentioned before, is also uh, clearly want want to be the the biggest player there. And the store is something; it's a unique space. It's a space with the uh, also with the human aspect. So I see the main value of digital uh, because it's still critical, as I said, as a, a tool. It needs to remain positioned as a tool, actually, because you start from the client. You don't start from the tool. And digital, is that's what it is. And it's a tool that can bring a convenience and efficiency in the experience from a, a service standpoint first, I think. One thing that we all need to remember, I believe, is that what's part of the luxury success is the dream, is the desirability for the products. And if you think about it uh, in terms of psychology, uh, desirability builds up when you wait for something. And in anything, even in relationship, you could, you could argue. Um, and if you go too fast, too immediate, you're kind of killing your own dream. So this is definitely a balance to find for, for the brands uh, to be able to make sure they preserve the emotion, the connection, the desirability uh, around that. And the other piece, the other aspect would be in terms of perceived value. Also, again, immediacy access is something that's more related to a, a commodity. And it's the exclusivity and the rarity that is also allowing the brands to beyond the quality of their products to charge the price they charge. So this is a, a key aspect to consider. And yes, uh, at the same time, we're, we're in a world where everything needs to be easy, one click. And still, when you look at, uh, at some point, everybody was talking about uh, see now, buy now, that was going to change fashion forever and the tsunami didn't really take place and if you look at the most powerful brands like if we take for example uh, Hermes I mean they're still doing super well and they still make people desire and wait for the Kelly the Birkin and it's really a matter also of having enough brand power to do that all that said there's a role for the uh, internet uh, channel and uh, one clearly from everything I was saying about the store is that it, it, it's an opportunity to drive potential clients to, to the store. So you want to have those types of uh, options, like, you know, the click reserve, the click collect, all those types of uh, drive to store functionalities. It also has the ability to actually add business, uh, not just from e-commerce sales, but the fact is that if you look at Client Insight, omnichannel clients are actually your best clients, uh, which is actually quite natural, just this, in the same way uh, where you usually have a client going up the client, uh, if you take the pyramid shape, 
up the up the pyramid as they cross sell more and more. So they have more and more opportunity to be touched by your brand through categories, uh, through interactions with the brand. It's the same with uh, going across channel. It's more opportunity to touch your clients. And that's how you, you build a lot of loyalty and additional sales. And then another piece, obviously, is what I was saying with e-commerce, reaching new clients. Clearly, I mean, some clients didn't dare historically to push the door of a, of a luxury store. And some are just digital natives we mentioned and just want to want to be in that space. The new generation, I think we're on D, uh, Gen Z at this point still, looks like there are some richers saying they want to go back into the physical space, probably for a different type of experience, but still uh, going physical. Another thing that is also an opportunity in terms of service for the internet would be uh, to facilitate some uh, for some brands and some type of uh, product categories when you need to uh, repeat, refill. Uh, well, that's an easy thing to set up in the in the digital space. And uh, the last part would be actually not so much the digital channel, but digital inside the store, where you can also help with the uh, service convenience aspect, like to remove the, uh, the pain points of the visit, the physical visit, anything around the moment you pay, which is never, you know, you enjoy the product, you might enjoy less to, to spend too much time pulling your credit card out or anything around delivery. Uh, if you don't want to carry uh, stuff around, signing up also for your contact information, all those type of things are elements where digitization inside the store can definitely help. And at the end of the day, between the store and the digital, there's really a need to think everything as in a systemic way, in a very complementary, interdependent, because there's no, from the client perspective, it's not, I do this with one channel, I do this with another one. It's, I'm interacting with the brand, period. So that needs to, to, to be orchestrated in a very, uh, like a concert around, around the client. And I was still last saying that the digital element is a tool because I still believe that at the end of the day, if you have all the data, the tools, the processes to make a great client experience, if back to my first experience at Cartier, if you enter a store and nobody's smiling to you, all the tools and data in the world will not make you a very uh, happy client. When I listen to what you're saying, it's in a nutshell, it says that luxury experience is not, it's being really um, selective on, on digital services, digital touch points, and, and digital contents. Uh, it reminds me of when the, uh, the Apple Watch came on the market. I remember a lot of discussions on is the Apple Watch going to take over uh, the luxury segments of, uh, of watches. And uh, interestingly, uh, probably you know, underlying what you just said, it was a, a momentary panic, but really the luxury watches segment continued after that. I suppose the Apple Watch became a, another market sort of, but it was not really overlapping with the, uh, at least the brands I know, uh, the luxury brands I know, it did not overlap massively with the luxury watch market. Of course, there would be another question on digital, but that's for another podcast. It's what about uh, luxury NFTs, right? But that's that's a whole whole topic, right? <laughs> so yeah. let's not discuss it today, but it would be great to discuss that topic later. Coming back to this transformation on being customer-centric for luxury brand with selective assistance of digital, 
were typically in the transformation process, of course, a key, key dimension, which is what are the key steps, whether it's organization or KPIs, that's in your experience is critical for a brand. The first key step is how you define your vision around what client-centric means for your brand in coordination with your strategy, your business strategy, but also uh, in a very specific way to the brand in terms of its values, because what's going to be key is to become client-centric in order to uh, leverage it as a way to differentiate and to continue to build the, the client loyalty. There's going to be the KPIs aspect, which are going to give you the ability to really uh, be in line between the vision, the strategy, all the levers also that you want to develop to be able to, to execute on the, on the vision and the strategy. And for me, one of the major aspects, because it's a transformation of the organization, is to also tackle both elements around the governance and the processes on how the uh, organization works together. Uh, because the current uh, centricity is it's a matter of transversality. It's a matter of alignment of all the parts of the organization around the client. So you really want to make sure all this is built up into your structure together with a, a key layer, which also I mentioned that it's one of the fundamental that I started to develop uh, when I started at Chanel, which is the mindset, the client culture. Because that's what's going to bring the cement into this whole structure. One thing that I like to use is to say that even if you have all the processes in place to make sure the client experience is perfect, is excellent, because there are some human elements in before we're all robots, obviously, but uh, there are some human elements in the chain, there's always a risk for error. The thing is that if there's an error that happens uh, in the client experience, but the person, the salesperson in front of the client reacts in the right way, with the right mindset, you're still going to be able to guarantee the client satisfaction. So you cannot guarantee the process perfection, the delivery uh, to your standards, but you can guarantee the client satisfaction based on that mindset. So for me, this is one of the of the key phases of any uh, client-centric transformation. Thanks for this uh, 360 view on uh, on transformation of brands. And obviously, the luxury industry uh, is still very successful, but it's got both key uh, key issues of transformation and at the same time, make sure it's it stays as close as possible to its incredible high-end experience, whether it's product experience or service experience. So thanks a lot, Isabel. What would you like to say as a last word? I guess I would want to end with uh, human because I think human and emotion uh, needs to remain at the heart of the luxury client uh, relationship and still giving space to digitization, but looking at it as actually an opportunity to further humanize also this relationship. So that's how I would uh, like to end. Right. So humanizing the relationship, whether it's in store or on digital channels, that's a, that's a whole new topic to cover in the future. Thanks a lot for your, uh, your key insights. Thank you for the invitation to participate. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtech Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time.
Thanks for listening.